Welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. Hi, I'm David Manti, and welcome to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. With me today is Wes Reynolds, President and CEO of Green Mill Supercritical. Thank you very much for joining me today, Wes. Great to be with you, David. Really glad to be here. All right. Before we get started, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You can also help us out a lot by leaving the podcast a positive review on whatever platform you use. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com. All right. So I'd like to start just with a little bit about how you got into the cannabis industry. You know, how did you find yourself at Green Mill? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I, I come out of a, a long career uh, in a more much more traditional career. I was with, at Coca-Cola for almost 20 years uh, in various uh, leadership roles at Coke, uh, a lot of them international. Uh, my family and I, we lived in Tokyo. We lived in Istanbul. We lived in Dallas, you know, in and out of Atlanta uh, my whole life. And um, four or five years ago, uh, I decided it was time to move on from Coke and went through a long process, actually, of discerning kind of what was next for me. And um, kept coming back to cannabis, uh, really wanted to be part of what I think of as the cannabis revolution in a lot of ways. Uh, you know, I like to say it took 80 years of convincing the American public that, that cannabis was this evil substance. Uh, and it's going to take a little while to reverse that, but we're well on the way. And, and I was excited to be part of that. The, um, I went to Tampa uh, and ran the Florida operations for Certera Wellness, which is part of now Parallel which is one of the MSOs uh, operating in the U.S., uh, ran that whole business seed to shelf. So we had a 300,000 square foot greenhouse. We had all the uh, lab work and all the production facilities. We distribution, um, dispensaries, uh, the whole nine yards kind of soup to nuts, if you will. So learned an awful lot in, in that capacity. Um, and then left Sertera and really started looking at investment opportunities in the cannabis space. Um, and knew that I wanted to be in that sort of ancillary space, the non-licensed um, producer space of uh, providing solutions for cannabis operators um, and had saw a lot of need in the extraction space. You know, we went through a couple of different extractors at Sertera when I was there and were consistently disappointed with them. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's a, it's a space that's really um, slow to evolve, but now I think is rapidly beginning to uh, see some innovation, which we're excited to be at the front of uh, in a lot of ways. And so I said, you know, I'd like to invest in Green Mill. One thing led to another, um, said, how, how about a part-time CEO role? Okay, that sounds good. Well, that was two years ago. Now it's a full-time CEO role. So you know how startups go, uh, mm-hmm. you might not, but it's, um, it's an adventure. Uh, so, you know, I'm just thrilled with the team that we have and the progress that we're making. We've got a long way to go, uh, but, we are, I think, really changing uh, this industry uh, for the better and, and excited to be part of it. No, this started as a startup. And I was actually just talking to a colleague about how much I love the excitement and the environment at a startup. Yeah. Love and um, hate, right? I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, uh, <laughs> it's just like, why are you working so many hours? Because I love it and I can't stop. <laughs> um, so what were some of those disappointments that you experienced that you look to change? Um, they're, I mean, they're across the board, really, um, you know, extraction system. We, we do supercritical CO2 extraction. So I'm going to talk mostly about that today. And let me just put that in a little bit of context because we are committed to CO2 and we think it's a, a beautiful solution that's getting better and better and better, but I'm not at all, um, you know, naive to the fact that there are many, many kinds of, uh, extraction solutions that can be very viable in lots of different situations. And, and we are really kind of pushing people to think about how do you think about multiple extraction solutions, not just one. I think the industry questioned for a long time, if you talk to people, they say, well, what's the best? And it's kind of like asking what's the best kind of guitar? It's like, well, I don't know. What are you trying to do? What kind of music are you trying to play? What kind of environment are you playing in? What kind, you know, there are all kinds of things that dictate different you know, uses of different guitars for different applications. and. I feel very much that extraction is similar in that in, in that regard. So we're trying to work with uh, a pretty broad consultant base now uh, that we're developing relationship relationships with and, and really pushing this question of what's best to be, well, let's talk about what product you're trying to make. 
What's the consumer expectation? And then how can you build an extraction solution around that that's flexible and can grow with you and we can innovate around instead of how do you go buy an extraction solution to extract 15,000 pounds a day of, you know, kind of mediocre oil. And that's, I think the, the question always started with the supply side until fairly recently, people are starting to say, well, I don't need to extract all of this. I need to extract a smaller amount of this to make a differentiated product for the consumer. So that that's what's exciting to me. So the, what was let down uh, was reliability. Machines were regularly down. Pumps would break. Uh, seals break. They don't work like they're supposed to. Um, you know, you would uh, set it for, you, you'd set an, extra, an extraction run at uh, 3,500 PSI or 2,500 PSI. And, you know, the variance on either side of that kind of setting might be as much as 10%. And that just doesn't work when you're trying to, you know, precisely target specific molecules in an extraction process. So I came to understand and still believe very much that a CO2 extraction, success with CO2 extraction is about controlling temperature, flow rate, and pressure. And our sort of, our mission, if you will, is to push CO2 beyond known limits. And what we really see is that the more precisely and quickly we can control those three variables, the better result you're going to get and the more consistent result you're going to get. Therefore, you're going to get a much more cost-effective solution and you're going to get a differentiated product in the end. And what most of the CO2 manufacturer, the, the extractor manufacturers out there promise all kinds of stuff. And then when you end up, you know, you, you take delivery and they go, oh, well, it doesn't work in these conditions and it doesn't work in those conditions. And, you know, it's, it, it's like, it, it's just kind of, I don't want to say false advertising, but that's kind of what it feels like, you know, in a lot of ways. And it's very frustrating for an operator who really just needs stuff to work uh, and needs stuff to deliver what they thought they were going to get through the process without having to have a, um, you know, somebody there, you know, holding every little string and pushing every little dial and, and, oh my gosh, you know, I've got, now I figured out how to make this inefficient system work and don't touch anything. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. kind of the impression that you get. Whereas what we want to do is build something that really is, uh, it, it's a beautiful machine. You, you plug it in, uh, you learn some, some basics, uh, and then it will, it'll grow with you. Um, mm. and I think that's, uh, that's a very cost-effective way to go about it. How are you finding most of your customers? Is it through the relationships with consultants and other agencies, or is it, uh, people coming directly to you? Yeah, we, we kind of do, um, we do a lot with our um, website, social media effort, and you know, trying to get the word out. And then people come to us because they're looking for different solutions. Um, we do believe that this is a complex, it's a confusing space, let's say. And we encourage our customers to uh, work with consultants who are reputable consultants who are that know what they're talking about. Um, and we think that's an advantage for us because. Uh, any good consultant is going to see the advantages of uh, a green mill system and they're going to put us in the running, uh, you know, one way or the other. Um, and then we're also really at the stage now as a company where we're, be we're beginning to work on doing a better job of really building that outbound effort, uh, you know, to go more proactively tell people about us who might not know about us. Um, so we do trade shows uh, and we, you know, I try to do uh, shows like this uh, when we can. I think this is a great way to uh, to connect with people that might be interested in what we're doing. Well, whoever is doing your newsletter marketing, they do a great job in terms of educating on the product and the company as well. Yeah, that's Jeff, and uh, Jeff's great. I mean, he just he he's just a he's a rock star. We, we're very proud of that. Talking a little bit about the equipment, you mentioned it sounded like it was a little bit plug and play. You know, what sort of maintenance and training expectations should people have if and when they use it? Well, I think it's um, it's a lot like anything like that where it is it is plug and play. I mean, our system is built on a frame that's about 23 square feet. Um, the smallest system we have weighs about 1,800 pounds. The biggest one weighs about 3,000 pounds. It's kind of like moving a piano around. You can It's on casters. It's on wheels. You can literally kind of push it anywhere you want it to be. You plug it in and you connect it to a CO2, CO2 source, and then it's got an external chiller um, that you have to kind of manage the external chiller. 
Um, and that's the whole ball of wax. It's got a proprietary software system that runs the uh, equipment. So you can, uh, you can plug in any recipe you want to run. And again, this is controlling temperature, flow rate, and pressure essentially on by vessel. So we do a, you know, a frac we do a, an extraction vessel that then uh, distributes uh, oil into three collection vessels. And you can, you can put all the same oil in each of the vessels, or you can fraction it off different things that you want. So you can do, you know, your, um, sort of main uh, collection in one vessel, you can get to almost pure terpenes or actually my engineers would get mad at me for saying that because they'd say they're not almost pure, they're pure. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I think it's, you can kind of control the system to run how long you want it to run, how, what temperature to run, what pressure to run, flow rates to run, when to change, all those kinds of things are on board. They don't require any sort of expertise. It's simply, learning what it is you have to program in order to get the result that you want. And the great thing about a green mill system is that you can, you can push that as far as you want to go. You, you can, you can learn more and more and more. You can experiment with different things. You can, you can find products that you can differentiate in the marketplace uh, for that consumer that is getting more and more interested in knowing what's in their product and knowing what kind of, you know, different products are available for them out there. Uh, and I think Green Mill gives you a lot of uh, capability, transparency, and efficiency when it comes to that equation. Do you provide maintenance as a service, or how does that relationship work with the customer? Yeah, sure. Um, it does. And our systems require some ongoing maintenance, like uh, valve replacements and things like that, that, are, that uh, our customers can do by themselves. We, we can also do it for them. We sell kits to make that very easy. They're not expensive kits. Um, we don't have a, like a pump is an expensive piece of, uh, of an extraction system. Our pump is a proprietary uh, four piston liquid, liquid displacement pump that was designed and made by us. Mm -hmm. And it's very robust. And so, you know, we've got, um, we've had systems in the market for four years now, and we have yet to see a pump uh, that is not good. So, mm -hmm. Uh, our pumps last, they're designed to do what they're doing on this system. Whereas most of our competitors are using some pump from a different industry, maybe oil and gas or, you know, some other kind of, they're, they're, they're using a pump that was designed for a different application and they're making it fit into an extraction solution. It's not a bad thing. It just means you're, you're going to be uh, dealing with problems that you didn't expect. And those are more expensive problems. Um, and we will go and, and we'll do preventive maintenance. We'll do, you know, rebuilds if people want certain things rebuilt, things like that. But if you take care of the uh, system, it's kind of like a car. If you get your car, you know, change the oil on your car, it lasts a long time. If you don't change the oil on your car, you're, you're going to be looking for some uh, serious uh, maintenance. <laughs> yeah. So we try to help everybody do that. We, we call our customers proactively. We remind them what they need to do. And we make all that available through an online store so that they can get the parts they need when they need them. We've seen a lot of issues in the industry with people trying to specify components made for other industries. Do you see that kind of phasing out of the industry or is it still pretty um, uh, regular? I think it's pretty regular. Um, and, and I think it's something that I'm really proud of with Green Mill is part of what, what's really true here is the, most of the componentry in our system is we assemble, build, and, you know, um, design all of these systems in our Pittsburgh uh, shop. And we are interested in continuing to innovate around that design and that, uh, that assembly process and everything else. So, you know, uh, if, if you build a system from the ground up, that's designed to deal with cannabis then what you've done is you've created a platform that now you can continue to innovate on that platform further and further and further. If your system is inferior or your system is, uh, let's say, not ideal for the application that's being, uh, that you're introducing it for, then innovation becomes more and more complicated because now you're, you're correcting problems that, that just get magnified as you begin to do more and more with that system. So having started at the bottom, and really kind of controlled all of those processes and integrated them so they're designed to work together, 
gives us a huge advantage, I think, as we begin to learn more and more and more about what we can do in this space. Like, I mean, I'm, we're going to talk about real-time winterization today, I'm sure, because it's a, you know, it's it's a huge innovation that we're leading and that we're going to, we've got systems that are going to market right now. Um, you know, it's not something we're saying we're going to be able to do. It's something we've done, we've demonstrated. And um, the reason we can do that is because our system has the capability to deliver against it. You mm -hmm. could, you know, I can, I could tell you how to do it and then, or not you, David, but I could tell somebody with an inferior system how to do it. And it still wouldn't work quite right because they don't have the, the foundational elements in place to be able to deliver against that. Well, and we will certainly get into the real-time winterization. Uh, but before we get there, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, you talk about innovation. I want to talk about um, your R&D process, product development, and what that, how important it is to the company and what you do to sort of constantly reinvest in the product. Yeah. Well, so just a couple of quick uh, examples of, you know, innovation, both simple and complicated. I think, um, you know, we have a dispersion plate technology that's patented that, uh, when you push uh, the solvent, the CO2, through the biomass uh, in the extraction vessel, uh, it has a tendency to channel and, and it has a tendency to not distribute evenly, which means you're, you're not going to get full extraction from certain amounts of that biomass. The, the dispersion plate is a plate that goes on the top. It's kind of like a shower head. And what it's doing is it's, it's moving that solvent into a more even pattern so that it doesn't channel as much as it moves through that biomass, which means you get more efficiency out of that overall extraction process. Okay. We have heat, uh, controlling heat in an extraction process is hugely important. So the, the more um, precisely you can control a temperature and the quicker and more accurately you can move from one temperature to another temperature is a critical component of the process. So we have 3D printed heat exchangers that we have, we designed and developed from scratch in our shops in uh, Pittsburgh. And we prototyped them on 3D printers that we have. Uh, and then we outsourced a, uh, a stainless steel um, actual solution for 3D printer that now on all of our machines, we have a stainless steel heat exchanger that is, that's done from a, uh, a 3D printer. It's coolest heck if you're a uh, you know geeky kind of engineer guy which i'm not by the way i'm a salesperson so uh, but it's got you know a chevron sort of tubing pattern that allows product to move through it in a way that allows you to heat it and cool it very quickly and very precisely and you know just the fact that our engineers and designers are uh, excited to do that that's what they live for every day you know they're going in and going how can we better control this temperature how can we better control the temperature one of them gets an idea, they take that idea to another phase, you know, another phase, another phase, another phase, uh, and then we build it. We'd love to spend more money than we do on R&D. Um, and that's one of the things we're excited about as, uh, as our business continues to grow. Do most of your design engineers come from an extraction background or do they come from various backgrounds? They come from various backgrounds. Um, I would say most of them not from the extraction space, but, you know, they've been doing something in a you know, they're creative and um, interesting people. We, we, we're kind of sticklers about our company culture. And one of the core components of our company culture is willingness to try new and difficult things. Um, and so it, that permeates everything. It's not just the engineer designer. It's everybody in the company kind of going, well, what if, and what if? Um, mm -hmm. And I, I think that's an important part of continuing to push beyond known limits. And uh, so we're committed to that. Do you find more success hiring people from outside of the cannabis industry? Uh, I wouldn't say more or less. I think it's just, I think there are a lot of great people in the cannabis industry. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think there are a lot of great people outside the cannabis industry. And we want, you know, the best people that we can get. Um, and I think that there's a, you know, the cannabis culture is changing um, all the time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're really, we're a manufacturing design company. I don't, we don't think of ourselves as a cannabis company. Mm -hmm. We think of ourselves as serving the cannabis industry uh, and we design our system to be most efficient with a cannabis application, but we also are, you know, we've got people using it for hops extraction. We've got lavender extraction. We've got, you know, multiple applications of CO2 extraction that we are interested to serve and we want to serve, but there are some chemical and 
just physical property realities of cannabis that mean that you mean you need to be doing some things differently to service this industry. And we want to do that. Um, and we're also interested in, like I said, the, what are the end use cases? So, you know, products are developing so fast and people are learning more about the, you know, molecular structure of cannabis and the, uh, the medicinal benefits and the health benefits and the just wellness benefits that come from more and more molecules in the plant that people didn't really understand or know about. So as things become more transparent, as the industry legalizes further, can and have further, out in further the I think that's just going to rapidly multiply. I mean, I think people are going to go, wow, this plant's even cooler than we thought it was. Oh yeah. Oh, I completely agree. I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, talking about the machines, can you, t- can you walk me through the smaller system, its capabilities and who is your, like the ideal uh, clients and then uh, talk about the bigger uh, systems as well? Yeah, sure. So our smallest system, so our smallest system is a seven and a half liter vessel, which holds about five pounds of biomass. So you can pack it full with about five pounds of biomass. And then, you know, you can, people talk a lot about uh, what is capacity for an extraction system. And it's kind of a trick question because a lot of it depends on, you know, what do you want to give up? What do you want to, what do you want to optimize? Uh, you know, we look at yield curves and you look at kind of where do you start losing efficiency on that curve? Uh, and you can run real hot, real, you know, high pressure and you can, we could do extraction runs every hour and a half or so on our systems, but it, it doesn't necessarily produce what you wanted it to produce on the back end. It might, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish. So, and you can run it constantly for the most part with some short changeover. We do um, offer, and uh, a lot of people take advantage of changeover carts so that you can pack another vessel while one's running. So you really minimize that downtime in between, right? Mm. So the smallest vessel, the smallest machine we make is that seven and a half liter vessel. The largest machine we make is one with two 10 liter vessels that run uh, parallel to each other. So they are literally running simultaneously. So you're getting 20 liters of extraction at the same time. It's not a changeover vessel. It's two 10 liter vessels. So, but we're committed um, until we learn something that we don't know, I guess, or until something changes, we're very committed to not going bigger than that 10 liter vessel because you give up too many, um, too many advantages when it comes to the the precision and control that you can get from that 10 liter vessel. Uh, And then all you're doing from our perspective, what you're doing is just giving up efficiencies and you're, you're, you're increasing costs and you're, in, there's no real advantage to it other than you're driving a larger capacity. We would rather, uh, we would rather think about how, how many systems do you need? And let's talk about that. And then we can scale with you or, you know, we could have a, you could have a green mill system. You could have a, uh, a BTO system. You could have a, a hydrocarbon system. You know, you can, you could have a lot of different uh, extraction solutions to meet the overall need in your, uh, in your business, instead of trying to think about how do I bu- how do I buy an extraction system to meet a supply demand, which I think is the wrong place to start. So people say I have X number of acres and this much biomass, and I need to do this much a day. So then they go and they build an extraction system, and that extraction system is usually in a it's, it's bolted to the floor. It's in a room that requires special preparation, and it's a huge capital expense, plus the ongoing costs are massive. Mm-hmm. And so what we're interested in is how can we give you a solution that has very uh, reasonable capital on the front end, minimal operating costs, uh, both in labor and in uh, supplies. I mean, CO2 is not expensive. It's really your only cost in electricity, which is you know uh, negligible. So what we wanna do is give you something that's gonna be able to, to deliver on your demand side. So how much of this particular product are you going to be able to move on the other end of this process? And then let's, let's build to that as opposed to building to your, your biomass side. Because you, you don't want to oversupply a market that's not, that doesn't have the demand. That's, well, that's one of the things I've heard frequently in the industry is that uh, people, it's not that they have unrealistic expectations as to what they need in an extraction system, but uh, that either the demand's not there or... Uh, it's not a system that's going to wind up being used all the time because they kind of bought more than they needed. That's happening a lot. And 
And a lot of people are coming back to us now. We've been saying this for two years. I mean, I did a speech at, or two and a half years. I, I did a speech at a conference in California a couple of years ago. And the title of it was Right-Sizing Your Capital Investment and Extraction. You know, and we stood on the stage and said, you know, are you thinking about this from a, a demand perspective? And most people were like, yeah, but I've got this much biomass and I don't, I don't care. And I got a lot of pressure as CEO of our company to build bigger systems. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we made a strategic decision some years ago to say, that's not what the, it's not what I think is going to be lasting solution in this industry. So let's stay where we are. And what we're seeing is a lot of people coming back to us now and going, Hey, I, I really didn't figure this out until recently, but now I realize I don't need this big, huge thing that I thought I needed. I really need something that is going to be flexible and, and move with me uh, because what's happening, the industry is changing so fast and consumer demand is changing so fast. And the products that you're making today are not the products you're going to be making. I mean, you might be, but you're going to be making other and different products as well. Uh, you know, three months from now, six months from now, two years from now. And so what's great about, I think, a green mill system is that it's a, it's kind of a nice, perfect size to give you enough capacity to like our largest system, the parallel pro, uh, if you run the parallel pro on a reasonable schedule with reasonable settings, you know, to produce a high quality product, uh, and you get sort of current market rates for that product, our system will support about $10 million a year in revenue off that, mm. uh, off that end product. So I just don't know a lot of people doing 10 million a year on a single product line. There are some, and they need a different extraction solution. You know, there's Budweiser, there's Miller, but there are also thousands of craft brewers. And those thousands of craft brewers are making really great products and they're making a good living, but they're not, they don't need the same brewing solution that Budweiser and Miller do. And I think this industry is going to kind of develop in a similar way where we will have some really big players who need really kind of industrial scale solutions. Uh, but that's not what we want to serve. Well, <clears throat> and when you talk to clients and you sort of talk them out of these larger solutions, when they come back to you, you've just established a whole new level of trust with that client. Well, we hope so. Uh, that's what they tell us. And, <laughs> and that's our intent. I mean, you know, that we can't always deliver what they think they want or need. And we don't, we're not arguing with them about what they need or want. We're just saying, you know, this is the solution that we think we can provide. Mm -hmm. And what I think is nice about Green Mill is that we deliver what we said we would deliver. And, and we don't, we're not trying to, we're not trying to create a product, uh, you know, to meet at that, to meet the expectation. We're trying to create a product to, to exceed the expectation and deliver something that I think they they realize, wow, I didn't know I could do that. Well, and also to the size of the system, when people think extraction, I feel like they inherently think expensive and a large capital expense. And if that's something that, you know, you're helping out with from the outset, I mean, that has to put you ahead of competition as well. I think so. And I don't want to, um, you know, minimize the, the significance of the capital expense. I, I think that the, for a startup company in the cannabis space, you know, think about it like the restaurant industry or something, you know, if you, you could have McDonald's and Burger King, of course, or something, or you can have, you know, a big chain, but if you're a small restaurant operator with one or two restaurants and you're trying to, you know, you're trying to, to make your business work, you got a lot of capital expense in ovens and equipment, et cetera. And it's meaningful. It's huge to you because this is a huge piece of your uh, it, you know, where are you finding this funding? And I think a lot of cannabis operators want to be in this business. They don't want to be multi-state operators. They want to produce a great product and they want to serve a smaller market of people that are discerning and, and have a unique taste for something that they can deliver. Um, and so, you know, our, for us, a lot of times, you know, you're looking at, let's say a quarter million dollars or $300,000. And that's a meaningful nut for a, a small operator, it's a meaningful nut for a large operator. Um, and so we don't minimize that and say, hey, it's, 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 this, is, this is easy. We say, yes, but the payback on that, in our case, is days, not years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the reliability of that and the, the flexibility of that over the coming months and years, I think, is, 
you know, if you do, if you are successful with the demand side of the equation and you do have a product that people want, Greenmill is going to be a terrific solution for you. Um, Greenmill won't make you a successful operator, uh, but it will, it, it will not uh, break you in the process either, which I think is a, a really important sort of component in the whole equation. I'd like to move on to the outlook for 2022 that you recently put out. Um, I found it to be very insightful and just had a couple of follow-ups. Like one in particular, uh, it mentions that there were some incredible innovations in the CO2 extraction technology and in CO2 extraction technologies that you've seen this year. Could you just go through some of those and you know, what you found particularly exciting? Well, I mean, I think, you know, real-time winterization is the, is the big one. Um, and you know, I think what we're the, the Achilles heel in the CO2 space has always been, we have CO2 is a completely inert, safe, clean, uh, substance. And at the end of a process of extraction, it's, there's no residual CO2, it's gone. So it's, you can literally take whatever plant properties you had, you can transfer those plant properties to an oil without adding anything and adulterating that product. Beautiful. Right. Mm -hmm. The Achilles heel of CO2 is it always, then you take that beautiful product and you winterize it. And winterization is all about, you know, it, you, you wash the product in an ethanol bath and you freeze the product and then you separate the fats and the lipids from the, what you want and you keep what you wanted. But now you've just turned that beautiful, you know, sort of whole plant experience uh, into this uh, ethanol contaminated experience. There's nothing wrong with ethanol. It's just, if you don't want it in your product, you don't want it in your products. So I think that everybody's been talking about winterization as a clunky, expensive, dirty process for a long time. Nobody likes to do it. You talk to anybody in the industry, they hate it. And consumers don't want it, but you got to do it. So having developing this real-time winterization solution is a game changer. Uh, mm -hmm. And People have been talking about this innovation for a long time. I think conceptually they've known that it can be done, but they haven't had the, you know, the process. So it, it's, it's a combination of method and technology that allow this to happen. So even if you had the method, if you don't have the technology, you're, it's not going to work. If you have the technology without the method, it's not going to work. So, you know, we've now put that together in a way that I think is um, it's repeatable, reliable. It's not, it, it's cost effective. It's, you know, kind of on a, on a par to uh, buying the equipment necessary to do the ethanol winterization process. So uh, we think that's a massive innovation. Um, and I think that's, that's the one I think we're really kind of pointing to in this 2022, you know, um, th this, this look at 2022 and the expectations for 2022. I'd say we've had sort of a dearth of innovation in the CO2 space, not a lot of innovation in CO2 space more than anything. Real-time winterization, that new product came out uh, this year, right? Correct. Okay. What yeah, has we're been... Just, we're just oh, shipping right now. So we, we've been... Um, we, we took orders, you know, uh, toward the end of the second quarter and we're kind of... We're starting to ship products right now. What has been the initial response? And, you know, what were some of the questions that you ran into as people really haven't had a solution like this in the industry before? Well, most people don't, don't believe it. <laughs> you know, they go, we, we tell them, uh, you know, we had one uh, customer who, you know, was actually, you know, kind of a potential uh, consultant, you know, customer. Um, it's just a very informed person in the industry who we were going through all this detail and we were sharing some information with them and some process and we sharing a lot of data and, uh, test results and this kind of stuff. And they were kind of like, really? They're like, no, I can't, this can't be true. This can't be true. Can't be true. And um, so we had a, a, our prototype system set up in a, in an operation somewhere with a licensed operator who'd been running our prototype. And we invited that person, you know, to come and see uh, and mind blown. You know, that's what they said <laughs> to us was basically, Oh my God, you did it. Uh, because, People have been saying this for a while, David. I mean, it, you know, I can, and we were joking with another one, you know, where I can, I can remember talking to other extraction providers, extraction manufacturers, extraction system builders who said, oh yeah, you can do that. You can do that. You can do that. 
And then what you realize is, well, yeah, you can do it if, you know, you you stand on your back foot and, you know, hold your cup upside down and, <laughs> you know, sing Yankee Doodle Dandy uh, while you're, you know, it, it's just a it's not a reasonable solution. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it's it's they don't work. Whereas what we've built is a, a is add on componentry. So there's a technical aspect to this. There's a machine component to this. And then a, a method uh, enhancement at the same time, which really means that you're now truly in line real time. It's part of the extraction run. It adds a minimal footprint kind of increase uh, and, you know, doesn't and really slows things down very little. Uh, and you're ending up with a product that's winterized. And they, these people are just kind of like, oh, my God, you know, it's, it's really true. Um. You said that you've just started shipping. Did you run into any sort of material shortage problems or supply chain issues that disrupted your manufacturing process? Well, yeah, we're we're dealing with them all the time. I mean, whether it's real time or whether it's you know just our standard systems, um, supply chains are 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 a mess right now, uh, up and down the board, and that that's not a secret to anybody. Everybody knows that that's the case. But you know, we've been working really hard to um, build good relationships with our suppliers to have alternative options where we can have alternative options um, and, and trying to set expectations with customers about um, build times and that build times are not gonna be you know, normal right now. Um, you know, our regular, in normal conditions, we expect about 10 to 12 week build time. Um, the Outlook also said that a shameful number of companies are exaggerating and flat out imagining product claims and that the industry is in for a reckoning. So what are some of these exaggerations and what is this reckoning going to look like? <laughs> well, I'm not the best one to, uh, to, to share all these exaggerations because my, you know, our head of R and D um, is a uh, Jesse Turner, who's, uh, you know, very accomplished in, in the extraction space um, has written white papers on different topics, has done a lot of work with leading producers in the industry. He runs R&D for us. Jeremy uh, Deal is our head of technical and is our co-founder and chief engineer. Um, he's sort of the primary designer of our system. And, you know, it's just Michelle Jun runs sales for us. So she's talking to customers every day. And the stories of things that people are saying that they're getting promised, like whether it's, um, you know, you can do 60-minute uh, runtimes, and you can, um, uh, you know, have uh, yields that are outrageous that just it's it's nonsensical because the science doesn't make any sense. I mean, what they're saying is impossible. It's not mm -hmm. it's not that it's like, oh, I bet you can't do that. It's just that it's it's like me telling you, you know, you can have uh, um, you can have uh, rain and sunshine. I guess, well, that's not a good example because it actually does rain and sunshine, some, you know, sometimes very, very rarely, but that does happen a little bit. But it's just these paradoxical things that are just, they're nonsensical from any kind of um, chemical or mechanical engineering perspective. Mm -hmm. And so uh, they're just kind of making promises of things. We had, you know, somebody came, this is a sim simple example, but somebody came to our booth and asked us if they could put an one of our extraction systems in a C1D1 room because they have extra space in a C1D1 room. And everybody else is telling them, yep, 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 yep. And we're like, well, probably not. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's probably not a good idea. And let, let's tell you why that's not a good idea. And they're like, well, you're the first ones that have said you couldn't do that. You know, mm -hmm. and now I might believe something else you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think that reckoning is, it's a strong word. Uh, and I think it's the right word for what we use in our Outlook piece. But I think that Part of this is just more of a, we're moving from a phase of the cannabis industry being a little bit wild west and a little bit, you know, you, we make it up as we go, which is great. It's a beautiful thing. But it also leads people to a place where at some point when people begin to really understand the science and begin to understand the application and begin to understand the, you know, the cost and they begin to build more sophisticated models of uh, business models and operating expectations. I think then they're going to start to hold manufacturers accountable for things that today 
they don't know how to hold them accountable for. And that's where the reckoning, I think, comes in. Why don't you want it in a C1D1 room? Uh, again, I'm not the engineer or the, I'm, you know, I, mm-hmm. but I, my understanding is it would require some massive electrical re-engineering to ensure that you don't have any random sparking or you don't have any, you would create fire hazards in there that the whole point of the C1D1 room is to not have the fire hazard. So, you know, now all of a sudden you've introduced something that could, because you could put it in a C1D1 room, but then you couldn't do anything else in there. Mm-hmm. And what these folks were wanting to do was they have extra space in their C1D1 room. They're running an ethanol extraction process, and then they want to put a CO2 extraction system beside it. Mm. We're like, eh, I don't know if that's a good idea. And we might be able to do it. It might be okay. Mm-hmm. But the fact that nobody else is sort of going, well, probably not, you know, is an indication that they're not really concerned with that complication. They're concerned yeah. with, sure, you know, yeah. and we'll build what you want. Yeah. They're just going to yes their way to the sale. Yeah. Um, it mentions an increase in demand for premium whole plant products. No question. What kind of shift is that going to cause in terms of equipment and uh, what other changes do you foresee as a result? Well, I mean, I think we're just right at the beginning on this. I think um, I, I don't, I really don't know. I'm not a cannabis connoisseur uh, expert, you know? So I talk to people who are just, they understand this plant in ways that I just don't even begin to uh, pretend to understand it. Mm -hmm. What I believe is true is that this is a complicated plant and that it's a, the benefits of cannabis are, uh, there are myriad benefits to cannabis and we're only scratching the surface and understanding what all those are. And so I think that when, you know, we have, we've come from, if you kind of dumb it way down, it's like we went from CBD, THC, you know, that's what, that's all anybody talked about. Well, like, Oh, is it, what is CBD? You know, my friends, you know, when I started getting in the cannabis industry, they would want me to is what it, I don't understand. What is what's the difference between CBD and THC? That's what they knew, mm-hmm. right? That was what they knew to talk about. And now people are starting to want to know about you know sleep aids, and they're wanting to know about you know um, better attention, and they're wanting to know about you know how can I improve this part of my lifestyle? And cannabis as a whole plant, and the benefits that that brings to the equation, I think is a fascinating place for development to happen. And as that happens, what I want to be able to do, what I, what I expect from an, you know, in an ideal world, maybe, you know, everybody would say, well, the best way to consume cannabis is to, you know, consume it as a plant. So that's fine, but it's not a very convenient or discreet way to do it. So if you want to turn it into this oil and then, or some other extracted substance, then don't you want to be able to target precisely what you want from that plant as our understanding of that plant evolves. And I think that's what we're trying to do is build a system that allows you to go as far as you want to go with the extraction processes that you're running so that you can start to pull out if it's live rosin or resin and, you know, or if it's, I know those are two different things, but I'm saying, you know, um, and then, or, you know, you shatter bubble hash, you know, whatever you want to do out of that product. I think we're starting to see that. But again, I think we're light years from fully developing all that. With all the uh, things that have been happening in the industry, the products that you're releasing, uh, it also mentions that, you know, you expect 2022 to be a rebuild rebuilding year for the extraction industry. Um, Why would you say that? Well, because, I mean, I think this one big one is, um, and, and I think we say this exactly like this in the 2022 outlook too, is that, you know, the end of ethanol, well, it's not the end of ethanol, it's the end of ethanol in the CO2 process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there's a, I, I continue to think there's, there are huge applications for, you know, ethanol extraction. It's a great, a great way to extract, you know, large quantities of product with that, if, you know, you're, uh, you're trying to move something quickly through an extraction process. And there are times you need that. Uh, but if you want to create whole plant products with, you know, um, precision uh, of available mo- molecular content, I would say, you know, the CO2 process is, is a great way to go. And eliminating the ethanol uh, 
requirement there, I think is going to create a, a real, real rebuilding opportunity. Um, the other way I think the extraction uh, industry is going to get rebuilt is through, uh, I think we're going to see continued consolidation innovation. We're going to see continued partnerships, you know, in the space where, um, you know, people that are really doing something meaningful with the science are coming together and um, kind of resetting expectations for uh, producers out there. Regarding, <clears throat> regarding consolidation and acquisition, uh, is that something where you believe Green Mill could either be a target or is targeting other companies? Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think, you know, it's just, it just makes sense. I think as this industry evolves, um, it's going to be like any other business and we're going to start, you know, talking about how do we, uh, you know, how do we continue to grow and uh, what does that look like uh, in this space? You had mentioned, I mean, you said you came from 20 years at Coca-Cola. Almost. Uh, <laughs> what, was, I mean, was it, did you have a personal connection to the cannabis industry or did it just seem like that was going to be the new hot industry to you? Yeah, no, I didn't have a personal connection to it. Um, other than I, I've seen cannabis be such a powerfully positive uh, part of people's lives that I love, um, mm -hmm. you know, and that have helped with anxiety, have helped with, you know, different kind of wellness uh, issues. I had spent time, I read a book <clears throat> some years ago called the A Short History of Cannabis by a guy named John Hudak. If you haven't read it, it's, it's worth reading. He's a Brookings Institute fellow who kept getting all these questions about policy. Um, and so he went and researched it all and he wrote a book about how did we get here? Um, mm. And it's a tragic story, in my opinion. Um, yeah. You know, and we never should have gotten here. And it's a, it's a story about, you know, greed and big business and racism. And, you know, it's, it's just not a, it's not a positive picture of how we demonized uh, this plant. And so, you know, and I, I wanted to be part of putting that back together. I think, yes, I thought it looked like a great growth opportunity. Uh, and that's why, you know, I thought it was a great time to get in and do that. Um, but yeah, it, you know, and what's interesting too, is there are a number of Coca-Cola people in this industry, which is fun. You know, mm -hmm. people that I worked with at Coke that are doing different things in the industry. I won't name them, but they're not hard to find. Um, and you know, the similarities are, are kind of interesting in a way it's a, you know, Coke has such a consumer focus, whereas this industry had such a supply focus. So I think one of the values I can bring is like that real, you know, deep kind of consumer uh like let's say i don't want to say consumer training but it's like just learning to think in consumer language instead of always in supply language so you know coke really built to demand uh you know it wasn't a hey build it and they will come and i think the cannabis cannabis industry was a little bit this sounds um i'll say it but it doesn't i don't mean it to be as critical as it sounds i think the industry was pretty lazy in the, in the early stages and kind of understanding well if we just grow great plants, people will knock down our doors to buy it. Right. It's like, it doesn't work this way. It, you know, brand building is really hard. It's very expensive. Um, and consumer tastes are fickle and consumers, you know, consumers are interesting. So really taking that lens on it and kind of being like, if I want to build, I want, I want to develop things that allow producers to do something extraordinary. We have Haven Extracts in uh, Massachusetts is one of our customers. They just got awarded the, um, you know, best oil in Massachusetts. Uh, and they're doing all that with a green mill system. Um, Candescent was making all of their stylus vape pens on uh, green mill systems. And they got awarded, you know, multiple industry awards for best, uh, best oil. So that's kind of where we're headed is how do we continue to focus on that? You know, are, are our products enabling the, the producer to do what they want to do and are they able, enabling them to distinguish and differentiate themselves in the marketplace so that they become loved by their consumers. According to the outlook by the end of 2022, ethanol free CO2 extraction will become the standard for all others to meet. How do you plan to make that happen? Uh, I think, <laughs> well, we're, we're going to, we're going to make it happen. And I'm, hopeful and confident that we're going to see the rest of the CO2 industry follow along uh, behind us and, you know, kind of 
and learn as as we all go. And I, I mean, I, behind us sounds like a very patronizing thing to say. I mean, let's say with us, right? I mean, um, I think there's a lot of room in this industry for us to continue to, to innovate and build uh, better and better and better solutions. Uh, and that's what it, that's what we want to do. We wrote an open letter to the industry a few months ago. Uh, Jeremy Deal did, uh, you know, that I thought was great, which is calling on the industry to do a better job. You know, say, you know, hey, um, putting out subpar equipment doesn't help anybody, um, and it's not just a, it's not just about um, us trying to win versus our competition, which of course we want to do, but it's also about how do we build um, an, an expectation in this industry that the that there are reputable and strong CO two suppliers, CO two extraction suppliers, who you can you can depend on you can count on you know i mean ford doesn't it wouldn't be good for ford if chevy made crappy cars you know right they, right, they right. need to compete but they both need to be making really good cars right um you know 20 years at coke two years at green mill how's your life different now how's my say it again the last part how's your life different now how's my life different now um well this is kind of i say this sometimes not usually publicly but it Maybe it's worth me <laughs> entertaining to you. The thing I never worried about at Coca-Cola was cash. We had lots uh, of it, you know. Mm-hmm. The thing I worry about every day at Green Mill is cash, uh, <laughs> which I think is partly startup, but that's just an interesting thing. Um, and I and I have a a startup, and Green Mill in particular is a place where uh, we we run a very disciplined operating process. We run what's called EOS, which is the Entrepreneurial Operating System, which I love. By the way, I think it's simple but brilliant and um and it brings a lot of discipline to our process but it's also a, an un you know an incredibly unpredictable environment because it moves very quickly things are changing we're innovating all the time we're sort of you know we're we're building as we go and i think we want to take risks we're we are we're set up to sort of take risks and and try to change the world to sound kind of a little corny um, whereas Coke is sort of designed to mitigate risk, you know, the whole idea at a large corporation like that is don't, you know, kind of don't screw it up. Right. And so my life is a lot different because what I'm doing every day is watching, uh, my team, my customers, our customers and, you know, the whole industry sort of just the, the development rate is extraordinary. I mean, people are growing and changing, uh, at rates that are, you know, 10 times what you would see in a more traditional sort of industry. Uh, and I just find that it's both terrifying and exhilarating. It's great. What is the entrepreneur operating system? Um, this is nothing like specific to Green Mill. This is a, um, so, this is some years ago, uh, a guy named Gino Wickman wrote a book called Traction and Gino ran a bunch of small companies. Uh, they're going to have to give me some kind of, uh, I'm gonna have to call the EOS guys and say, "Hey, I did a commercial for you." Uh, <laughs> the uh, and the it's a full operating system. So it's basically a uh, how do you? What are the components of your business? What are the metrics of your business? What are the meeting routines and processes and um, the core processes and what how you run things? And the EOS is a prescriptive sort of set of steps and tools that. Uh, you can follow with or without an implementer. You can hire somebody to sort of work with you and implement this uh, process. Um, but I find it to be, um, it helps just reduce friction. So you get lots of traction. Um, it clarifies understanding. It gets everybody growing in the same direction. Um, it ensures you get the right people in the right seats. It ensures, you know, the all the components of a, how a business runs and, and is successful are accounted for in a sort of comprehensive system. And it's not new. It's like, it's sort of the basics of a business, um, but it's a prescription. Uh, it'd be like if I said, well, here's a, you know, a great exercise program for you, or here's a wellness program for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nothing you don't know probably, but there are probably components of that that you know, are harder or easier to do. And so we've been doing this for, I don't know, a year and a half now, maybe a little bit longer. And uh, I just 
I think the whole team finds it to be a really important part of how we run Green Mill and uh, how we deliver on what we say we're going to do. Well, it sounds like company culture is particularly important to you. When you say you're a stickler for company culture, that's something I can appreciate because first of all, it's an, it's an environment where the labor market is impossible right now. It's, it's hard to find good people. And then it's even harder to find good people that fit that company culture. You know, how do you juggle between trying to grow, but also making sure that you don't sacrifice that company culture in the process? Uh, you, it's, it's just tough, David. I mean, there's not a simple answer to that. I think you, you get committed first to, you know, what we did at Green Mill was we got really committed to the idea that pushing CO2 beyond known limits and, and really focusing on CO2 was what we were going to do. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, there were a lot of temptations to go, Oh, we could build this or we could build this, or, you know, there, there are lots of like short-term revenue opportunities that you get excited about sometimes, but, we tried to stay kind of very tight. We also got very committed to this craft artisan market uh, when it comes to cannabis. And we said, you know, we don't really don't want to be, you know, if I use the craft beer analogy, we're not going to try to be a supplier to Budweiser. We want to be a supplier to the local craft beer producer. Um, And that's a risky sort of decision to make early because you're, what you're doing is sort of, it feels like you're minimizing your opportunity instead of optimizing your opportunity, right? Um, and then we got real clear about what we, what we want this company to look like down the road. Mm. And if we want this company to look like that down the road, what do we have to do today to get there? Um, this is simple business planning. I mean, I'm not telling anybody anything they don't know. Yeah. Uh, and, and then the, the culture piece is not what we want to be. It's who we are. So what I think is really fascinating is it wasn't like we said, hey, let's figure out, you know, do we want everybody to wear red shirts to work or blue shirts to work? It's like, I don't know. What kind of shirts are they wearing? You know, and then we say, oh, well, everybody likes plaid shirts. We go, okay, then we're a company that wears plaid shirts, you know? Yeah. And then if you, if you don't like that, that's okay. But it's going to make it harder for you you know, to kind of be part of that environment where people want to wear plaid shirts. Mm -hmm. And so it was really important to us to understand who are we and how do we make sure we just strengthen that and, and make codify that in a way that, you know, new people can understand it. People that are here that can understand it. And we've, we've had, I mean, I feel like this is like a therapy session. You know, we've had, um, we've had a few folks that, you know, it's just like, okay, you don't like this culture and this culture doesn't like you. And that's, that's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you don't just get to stay and mess it up. You know, we got to make a change and that's just hard work. Yeah. Uh, well, Wes, before you get off the couch <laughs> of the therapy <laughs> session, um, you know, one of the things I like to ask is, uh, you know, is there anything in particular that we might've missed or anything that you want to make sure that the cannabis equipment news audience knows about green mill uh david i think we've we've talked about so much i i mean you know i think what i really when i was thinking about this interview earlier i was thinking um we're we want to talk to you that, that's all i want people to know is that you know we are eager and interested to share what we're up to um and we're interested to help um you know anybody that we can help um and we haven't talked about, we, you know, our website is greenmillsupercritical.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's worth a visit. Um, we have a, a newsletter mailing list that you can sign up for, which I think is well worth it. You mentioned it at the, at the beginning of the uh, podcast. But I think that this, that this whole space and this whole industry is kind of a journey, you know, and, and I think we're interested in, in, in being on that. Uh, with our customers and with people that are potential customers and people who are interested in, in creating a better product. If you're interested in creating a better product, you know, we'd like to talk to you. Well, Wes, thank you very much for your time today, man. I really do appreciate it. Well, thanks for what you're doing. It's really important. So good, good work. 
Excellent. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That'll be like the one part Alex cuts out of this. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Wes. I really do appreciate your time and your insight on the extraction industry. It truly is insightful. All right. Before we get out of here, please make sure to like, share, and subscribe to the podcast. You could also help us out a lot by leaving us a positive review or just a thumbs up on YouTube. Finally, if you want to reach the podcast, you can reach me at david at cannabisequipmentnews.com. Thank you very much. We'll see you next week. Nope. I'm David Manti. This is the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to the Cannabis Equipment News Podcast.